Hey, good morning, King's Chapel. Let's pray together, and then we're going to open God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the King of all kings, that you are Lord of all lords, and yet the Son did not um, grasp onto that place, but Lord came down and took on a place of humiliation so that he laid aside, um, his, he veiled his deity so that he might come and be with us, so that he might come save us from our sins. God, I pray that that truth would be real to us, that in these last days here of 2021, that the, the beauty, the truth that God is with us, that he has come to save us, would be preeminent on our minds, and that it would give us great hope for what comes ahead in the, in the year to come. Whether they're suffering and sorrow in 2022 or great delight and joy or for, like most years, a great mix of the two. That, Lord, we would cling to this, that Jesus is with us, that Jesus has won the victory and that he is ours and that he is the king who has come and is coming back again. Lord, be with King's Chapel wherever we may be with our families this morning, that you would be, um, that you give peace to our households, enjoyment of one another, and joy in Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, King Chapel, uh, we are, again, we're sad to be not with you this morning. We hope you had a great Christmas, that you had a great time with your families yesterday, that you had great gifts. I had a number of phenomenal gifts. My, my favorite one I got was from my son, who got me a coffee mug that said, the world's greatest farter. And then the farter was crossed out and it was replaced with father. But those are the kind of gifts that I, I love to get. I hope you got a gift as good as that yesterday. Well, we're here to celebrate an even greater gift than a, a funny coffee mug. We're here to celebrate the fact that the king has come and he has come to bring salvation. We are continuing our series looking at to make his blessings flow, bringing God's blessings as far as the curse is found. And so we look this morning at a classic passage uh, from Luke chapter 2, perhaps you read this this week. We're going to read verses 8, and we're going to read through verses 20. Read along in your own Bible as I read out loud. It said this, In the same region there were shepherds. That region is the same area where Jesus was born. There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in a swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the, what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. May the grass wither and the flower fade, but may the word of our God, may it stand forever. 
Well, in this series, we've been looking at the character traits uh, that are formed in those who are critical figures in the birth narrative of Christ Jesus. We've been looking at those character traits that are formed in them that assist them and drive them to participating in the mission of God to bring his blessings to bear in this world. If you're going to participate in the mission of God, you're going to need faith. We saw that in the life of Zechariah. You need faith. You're also going to need submission. We saw that in the life of Mary. You're going to need courage, as we saw in Joseph last week. And this week, we're going to look at awe. Awe. A-W-E. Awe. We have in the story the account of ones we might describe as the first evangelists. The first witnesses outside of the family of Jesus, of, of God breaking into the world, and indeed the first worshipers that go to participate in the worship of Jesus at the manger. Verse 17 says, they may known, the shepherds, they may known to all around them, who telling them what had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard about it wondered at what had been told to them. That's the word for all. How do a bunch of illiterate, impoverished, dirty shepherds become evangelistic worshipers? There is an explosion of worship and proclamation that is in this passage. And what is it that leads to such awe-filled proclamation and awe-filled worship by these shepherds? What leads to such a willingness to proclaim? What would lead you to be someone whose life is filled with an awe such that you bubble over with worship in not just what happens on Sunday mornings in church, but bubbles over in the worship of proclamation throughout your daily life? Verse 20 says this, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. Why? For all that they had heard and seen. There are some things that we hear about and that we see that elicit and solicit all in us in such a way that we begin to become a people who worship God with proclamation. They heard, they saw, and they heard again. And so we're going to give you very three simple points this morning. I know it is difficult to follow along for these online services, especially for our kids. It's, it's challenging enough here, but it, when it's there trying to face the TV, and so we're going to keep this short and brief this morning. Three simple points. The shepherds were filled with awe, first because of the announcement of good news. We see this in verses 10 and 11. The angel shows up and he says, for behold, I bring you what? Good news. That's the word for gospel. Eoangelion of great joy that will be for all the people. And here's the news. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now the object of the good news, what is being proclaimed here is that a baby has been born, but this is no run-of-the-mill baby. We've had lots of babies born recently at King's Chapel, and listen, everybody believes their baby is special and unique, but this one is special and unique on a cosmic level. This is a titled child, kind of like someone born to royalty is given a title, a title from the very moment that they are born. And what is the title that this child is given? This baby is called Christ the Lord. Now, there are two particular components to that title. First is Christ. And what does the word Christ mean? Well, Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the anointed one. 
Messiah specifically in the Old Testament referred to the prophecies that referred to this kingly anointed one. Back in the Old Testament, they would anoint kings into the role of kingship. And so to say that this child is the Messiah, the Christ, is to say that he is the anointed one who has come to be the royal king in the line of David. But it is not just Messiah, but also Lord. Lord. This is not simply the Messiah of the Lord, but this is the Lord himself. This is speaking not just simply of Jesus' kingship, This is speaking of Jesus' godness. And therefore, if we put these two words together into this one title, what we have here is we have royalty and we have godness. We have Christ the Lord, the king who is God over all the earth. And now this king who is God over all the earth has been born in flesh to be our savior. This is the good news. The good news is that a baby who is royal and divine has come into this world to do a saving work. But here's what I also want you to see. Who are the recipients of this good news? You know, the shepherds might have wondered why the angel chose to to reveal this to them, to them of all people. This sort of news of a great proclamation of a divine king, it's born to, to shepherds, it says, this should be proclaimed in Jerusalem. This should be pro- proclaimed in some place like Rome. But instead, it comes to no-name shepherds outside a seemingly no-name town, a small place. But the angel used one more expression that is very interesting. He says this, for unto you is born this day. He is speaking, this angel, is speaking specifically to the shepherds. I've, he told them that Christ the Lord has been born to them. The divine Savior and Messiah is theirs. Now, let me, let me illustrate what this means. You see, if you, were to, if you were to send out a birth announcement, as we often do these days, we would say, celebrate with us for a child named such and such has been born to the parents of such and such. A child is born born to his parents. But what we see in this birth announcement is this child is not, doesn't say born to Mary and Joseph, but is born for these shepherds, to these shepherds. He is, this is their king. This is their Messiah. Personally, unto you this child is born. He will be theirs. He comes, he comes for the lowly shepherds. Now that is amazing to behold. What makes Jesus joyful? And we see this throughout throughout the Bible. That what God, the first people who God loves to reveal himself to are the lowly and the impoverished, the, the small in this world. It is his good pleasure showing and revealing the reality of the gospel to whom no one else values. You know, that's who shepherds were. Shepherds were not these romantic characters as we often have made them to be. Sheep were dirty and dumb, and the shepherds were barely life forms above them as they were seen in their culture. They could, not, they could not give testimony in a court of law, and in fact, they were considered to be thieves in the community. And yet, this is to whom Jesus shows himself, because God loves revealing himself to people who everybody else thinks is not valuable. God loves to reveal himself to people who everybody else thinks are nobodies so that he might tell them about the greatest somebody, so that nobodies who become somebodies then get to tell everybody about the one who is something in this world, that is King Jesus. And that is what happens to these shepherds. They hear the good news, the announcement of good news. 
But second, I also want you to see what leads them to awe is they saw the sign of good news. The sign of good news. This is in verse 12. This will be a sign for you, it says. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What's the sign that God himself has come into this world? What's the sign that a king, the king of the universe, has entered this world? It is so bizarre in our thinking. Here's the sign. A baby is born, he is swaddled, and he's lying, lying in a manger. A manger is a feed trough. That's what a manger is. Have you ever considered the stunning nature of the way God comes to us? He comes as a baby. The one world, the heavenly world, breaking into our world through the womb of a teenage girl. No other world religion is either bold enough or foolish and stupid enough to claim such a thing. You see, Judaism and Islam, for example, the incarnation for them is not just impossible, it is frankly gross. They don't mind the, in, 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 the invention of God or intervention of God, but God would never in their mind come in the flesh. It would be pathetic and demeaning to their religion for their God to enter into our fleshly experience. God is too great for this. To them, that would be blasphemous, but it's at the heart of the Christian religion that God took on our lowly flesh. One hymn writer put it this way, the one in whom we live and move is now in swaddling clothes lies bound in this earth. The one who said, let there be light is now asleep without a sound. And the one who flung the stars now lies in a mother's arms. It is crazy to think, but it is the truth of the gospel that God comes as a baby, but then we also come, he comes down not just as a baby, but in a low birth. The sign is that you will find this infant laying in a feeding trough. You don't look through the glass of Bethlehem General Hospital and see this infant. The sign for the shepherds is that a, a baby is lying in the place where animals eat out of. And this is a great sign because Bethlehem is a small village. They could go from door or looking at essentially what are sheds connected to the outs, out, um, outside of these little peasant homes, and they could find there a few animals and a child laying in a feed trough. There, that would not be something that is common. This is the one baby that they'll find who's lying in a feed trough. And the sign tells us that the God of the Bible is not allergic to the humble and the ordinary and the common things. God's very son was placed in a feeding trough. He made the common and the lowly the theater of the glory of God and displayed his greatest gift. Listen, you got beautiful packages yesterday, great gifts, and they were, they were put in beautiful packaging with great bows, and, and people took great care to wrap those gifts Yet God sends the greatest gifts in the world and he wraps it in swaddling cloths and plays it in a feeding trough. And what this means is that where you are most likely and most often going to meet this king is in the commonest stuff of life. You're going to meet him in the ordinary places, in ordinary Bible reading, in prayer, in the ordinary fellowship of God's people, in the ordinary places of life. Because that is the place where God enters in. But don't miss that this is only the beginning of the Son of God getting low. This is only the beginning. He will be wrapped. He's wrapped in a cloth and he's placed in a manger. 
And there is here in the Gospel of Luke a foreshadowing of where the story will end. You see, at the end of Luke, Jesus is going to be taken down from a cross, and he's going to be wrapped in a cloth, and he's going to be placed in a tomb. You know, Johann Sebastian Bach has written many of our, some of our most famous Christians' music, and he does something so poetic in his, what is called his Christmas Oratio. You see, Bach won't just write about Christmas, but actually earlier, at the time in which he was most famous, one of his most famous works was actually about the Passion, and in what is known as the Passion Chorale, where he writes songs about the death of Christ. And what is so moving, though, about Bach's Christmas oratio is what he places when he writes a song describing Jesus in the manger in swaddling cloths. He puts that chorus, that song about Jesus in a manger and swaddling cloths to the same exact music that he placed in the passion narrative where he sings about Jesus being the man of sorrows. The line from the Passion Chorale says this, O sacred head, sore and wounded. And he puts the exact same music that went to those lyrics about this, Jesus on the cross, to the music here referring to Jesus in swaddling clothes. What's he doing? He's foreshadowing in a beautiful and lyrical and poetic way that this child is low, but he will get much lower. This baby is born to die. He is born to die for me and for you. And so what's your sign that God himself has entered the world? Is God gets low, even low unto death. This is the sign. How do you know the king has come? How will you know the Messiah is here? Look for the one who is lowest. The one who is willing to lay down in a feeding trough but go even lower than that. The one who is willing ultimately to take our sins, to be clothed in your and my sins, to be placed upon a cross, to be taken from that cross and placed into a tomb, to enter into death itself. That's how low he will go. Third, all all will be formed in you such that you worship like the shepherds when you hear the song of good news. The song of good news. This we see in the final song of the angels, verses 13 and 14, it says here that suddenly there was an angel, with this one angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What we see what happens here is there was one angel, and then suddenly the good news that this one angel is giving causes all of heaven to break forth. And this, what it refers to here to a multitude of the heavenly host, is a refer to angels that are too many to count. This is no mere 100 angel choir. This is an angelic choir that is too many to count. And remember what angels are. This, they are an army. They are warriors of light who worship before God and do God's just bidding amongst the earth. This is an army of angels. That's what's, who's singing here. And what do they say in their song? First, they say glory to God in the highest. What causes them to break forth? You know, the angels do not necessarily know what's coming. And what they see here is that suddenly... God in his perfect plan, they see that God is sending his own son into this world and they see the plan beginning to unfold and they break forth into praise and worship. The glory of God is on display in the incarnation. The incarnation is that through the womb of a little girl, God came down and he came in and he set aside his glory. But in so doing, he actually displayed the character of his glory most profoundly. And the angels see it. 
See, in Christ Jesus, the glory of the Lord is most perfectly revealed, more perfectly revealed than all of history. And the angels have watched all of history and seen how God has manifested himself. And now they see the glory of God in the Son of God taking on flesh, and they have to break forth in worship. It says in John chapter 1, verses 14, said this, that in Christ Jesus in the incarnation, we beheld the glory of God. Veiled in flesh, we sang just a little while ago, and hark the herald angels sing. Veiled in flesh, what do we see? The Godhead we see. The glory of the Godhead. Well, they sing of glory, but second, they also sing of peace, don't they? And remember, this is an army of angel warriors that are singing. Now, again, this is warrior angels. Remember when we see angels in, in most places in the scriptures, they come with justice. If you remember the Passover, the angel comes and he brings death. Where we see in Revelation, you know how many angels it takes to bring the grapes of God's wrath upon the earth? Seven. Seven angels to destroy the world. These are powerful beings. This is an army of these beings. This is an angelic D-Day, but they get off the boats, and what do they do? They sing peace. Peace. The divine king is the one who can win peace for us with God. The peace that they are proclaiming is not the peace that falls upon the human heart when we hear beautiful music or sit and watch a lovely sunset. It's the peace that comes when we understand that all animosity has been removed between us and God. What this is saying is there was ill will between us and God at one point. Peace is only good news if we realize that we have been fighting with God, and this is the story of the Bible, is that in the fall, Adam and Eve rejected God, but they didn't simply reject God as father, but they made him their enemy. And they didn't simply run from him, but they actually sought to fight against him. And yet, what we see in the incarnation is God's work that he is coming to do, is he is coming to take those who were enemies and make them friends, to reconcile the gap between sinners and their holy God. And therefore, when we sang earlier, hark the herald angels sing, what does Charles Wesley say? Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And there it is. What is peace on earth? It's mercy mild. It's God and sinners who were once were at war, now being made friends, now reconciled, now being with one another. That is what it is to have peace with God. To have no more animosity between us and God. No more war. No more wrath being deserved by us and us displaying no more hatred for the God who is. The living God receives the greatest glory, and this is why the angels sing, when the, for, with the greatest glory when God's greatest gift is to come and make enemies friends. Why do I say greatest? Because we were made in God's image. You know, angels who are singing here are not necessarily made in God's image. The greatest good what God does here is that he takes the greatest enemies through the one who came, Jesus, keeping the greatest laws and dying the greatest death to give the greatest grace so that we would have the graciousness of favor and peace of God. So, what did the shepherds hear? What did they see and what did they hear? They heard that, the good, that God the King has come for them. This is their King and their Savior. They saw that he has come in lowliness to save people just like them. And they heard that as a result, 
they may have eternal peace and a perfect relationship with God once again. They heard, they saw, they heard again, and what was the result? They joined the mighty chorus to become the first evangelists and the proclaimers. For perhaps maybe today, would you hear, maybe for the thousandth time or for the first time, that your God has been sent to be your king, to be the one who gets low to save you from all the lowliness and brokenness in this earth and to bring peace between you and your God. To the degree that you grasp that, you will become dancers and worshipers and proclaimers like shepherds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the simplicity of this. There is awe and wonder in it. (laughs) There's theology by the fact that God would become man is beyond our grasp, but there's also simplicity. The fact that you came into a common place to common men. And it's a story that children can proclaim, that the illiterate can know and tell others about. And so, gracious God, I pray that we would not think so highly of ourselves, but we would get low, that we would be humbled by the Christmas story, by the rawness of it, by the commonness of the place in which you come. Lord, I pray that you would confront us again with the beautiful truth that you have made peace between us and you. I pray for those that continue to live as if there is animosity between them and God, that they would be struck by what God did, what he was willing to do in order to make peace between them and God, and that they would embrace that peace, that they would seek the favor of God and the face of God through Jesus Christ. Would you do that to all those who hear and to all those in this place? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.